In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time a prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. With your permission, Lord Jesus, exposed here on the altar before us in the Blessed Sacrament. Tonight we want to pray about one of the last things this time of year. The year is coming to a close and the liturgical year is coming to a close very quickly. And so the church puts before us this theme of the last things, things concerning the eschaton. And traditionally, there are several of them. These are the last things that will happen to us, and they're the things that will remain forever. At least a couple will remain forever. Death, judgment, and then the destinations after death, heaven, hell, and purgatory. And the one we want to focus on tonight is uh, by far the most positive one, which is heaven. Lord, we want in this meditation to foster our hope of heaven. And to pray about heaven is, is a mystery. It's to pray really about God. In a certain sense, we could say that heaven is God. It's not so much a place as it is union with God, union of our entire being, our entire person with God, without any mediation, without any barrier, us and God and God filling us. And since, Lord, your divinity, the Godhead, is a great mystery, so too our union with God forever in heaven, having God be our eternal happiness is a great mystery. Scripture helps us. St. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says this, We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glorification. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, God has prepared for those who love him. God has revealed this to us through the Spirit. And so it's a provocative description of heaven, of our reward for learning to love God now, being loyal and faithful to your plan for us, Lord. But it's a negative one. It's purposefully negative. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the mind or heart of any man, nor the heart of man conceived. Why? Because it's infinite and it's eternal. It's causeless. It's like nothing else we know. And it's so good that it will fulfill us forever and ever and ever without any getting bored or or any uh, 
satiety, however you say that word. We'll never be sated in heaven. We'll always enjoy God more and more. It's a great mystery. St. Thomas Aquinas says, it's all goodness without any mixture of evil. All that is good, all goodness, without any mixture of evil. And here our highs are balanced by lows and our joys are always threatened by the possibility of sorrow or at least the fear of losing that joy. And here, Lord, we have all those negative experiences which are part and parcel of our struggle and our fate on this earth. Frustration, sadness, guilt, shame, disappointment, resentment, suffering of different kinds, pain, emotional, moral suffering. And there, right, all that will be gone, all that will be gone, all good, all joy, all beauty, nothing missing. I have a friend who, he was a young professional working, and he made a friend with, he, he made friends with uh, a colleague of his who was an agnostic. And this friend of mine is a well, well catechized, practicing Catholic. And so they struck up this friendship and they would talk about deep things, about religion and philosophy. And so his friend, this agnostic, you know, brought up the, the objection of the problem of evil, the problem of suffering. And professional apologists will tell you, and if you think about it, it makes sense. It's like the strongest objection to the goodness of God, the amount of suffering in the world, and the amount of cruelty and evil. And so he brought up this objection, and then my friend re responded to him. He said, well, let me just ask you a question. He said, do you think it's possible? Is it possible that there could be something so good, so incredibly good, that it would make all the evil done and all the suffering of the world worthwhile? Could make up for all the suffering, make it all worthwhile? And he said that his friend was about to respond like negatively real quick. But he was a thoughtful guy, and so he stopped and thought about the question, is it possible? And then he said, yeah, I think it's possible, but it would have to be really, really, really good. And I think he threw in a, a colorful word to emphasize how good it had to be. And my friend responded immediately to him. He said, exactly, that's heaven. That's our enjoyment of God in heaven. It's going to make up for all the suffering that you can go through. And this is important, Lord. We're going to suffer in this life, and we have to keep our eye on the prize. St. Jose Maria would say that, that, of course, this life has its sorrows. Commitment to God, commitment to our faith, commitment to others, being faithful, growing in virtue. There's a, there's a cost involved. There's sacrifice involved. There's suffering involved. We know that. And St. Rosemary would say, vale la pena. It's worth it. It's worthwhile. Vale la pena. It's worth whatever you have to suffer to get to heaven, to be with God. A good so great that it makes all the suffering worthwhile. The Catechism teaches us about this hope that we have for heaven. Hope, the Catechism says, 
is the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness. Placing our trust in Christ's promises and relying not on our own strength, but on the help of the grace of the Holy Spirit. Lord, increase our hope. Help me, Lord, to desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as my happiness. And in one way, that seems like a no-brainer. Right? You ask someone, well, do you want to go to heaven? And they think about death. They're like, well, yeah, but mostly it's you know, in light of the alternative. In the end, there's only two alternatives. It's heaven or hell. So in a certain sense, of course, everyone wants to go to heaven. But the way the catechism explains it and the way that it really works, there's a lot more to it than that. The virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness, which includes now. It's not just, do I want to be happy in heaven when I die, but am I living now in such a way that the kingdom of God and eternal life constitutes my happiness? Is that really what I'm shooting for? And that's harder than it seems. Why, Lord? Because in heaven, we will only be doing one thing. We'll be loving God. We, we, will, we will be happy forever by loving God. Then we'll know that he is the source and the root and the only true object of our love. And if we love other people, it's only because they're from him and because he loves them and he's in them. All the good that they have is from God. But on this side of the divide, right, that's, that's hard to do and it's hard to f- figure out. C.S. Lewis has a great line. He says, heaven is an acquired taste. Right? Heaven is an acquired taste. That we have to learn how to love God. We have to learn how to find our happiness in God and the things of God. If we're going to be ready for heaven, right, this life is like, this life is like practice for heaven, for eternity. And having an acquired taste is an interesting experience because before you acquire it, you don't think the thing that you eventually like and appreciate and enjoy, you don't think that thing is likable at all, that it's enjoyable at all. You think there's something about you and it that just doesn't click. And so it takes time, you have to try, and you experience, and you see other people enjoying it, so you give it another try, and eventually you mature, and you like it. I've been using this analogy with students in the schools these days, and I asked them, I said, you guys are still young, but is there anything that you like now that you didn't like when you were, when you were a little boy or a little girl? And I got some surprising answers. Some of them were typical and even surprising. One high school girl said she already likes Brussels sprouts, which I found that kind of uh, surprising, rather mature of her. But another girl said chocolate cake. I was kind of shocked by that. I can't imagine a world in which I ever wouldn't like chocolate or had to learn to like chocolate cake, you know, interesting. Then I push the envelope. I say, you guys aren't still putting ketchup on your hot dogs, are you? So if you hit 16, it's like, you got to get over that. No more ketchup on hot dogs. Mustard. But this is the trick with our Lord and with, with, with our life and with heaven is that we have to learn how to really love God. 
find our happiness in him. And that takes work. It takes work, Lord, because you've made this world so well. And there's so many good things in my life. And there's so many things that give a temporary and even at times a kind of lasting happiness. Professional goals that we work for, our relationships, different kinds of pleasure, entertainment, our reputation. And all these things are, are, are good and they, and they give us they give us a certain joy, a certain happiness. And so we have to look and say, Lord, well, all that's well and fine. And because you've called me to live in this world and love this world and find you in this world, all that can be part of your plan for me. But do I love them too much? Have I put too much value in them? Are they kind of crowding out eternal life and God as my true happiness? Have they become, Lord, idols, false gods? And how do we acquire the taste for heaven? How do we acquire the taste for God? Well, one very important thing is what we're doing now is to sit and look at God. Look at God in the Blessed Sacrament. Look at God in the Gospel. Look at God on the cross. To contemplate God, to adore God now in our prayer. This is the most direct way that we practice what heaven will be like, to learn how to enjoy prayer, to be committed to prayer. And it takes work, but vale la pena. It's worth the effort. It's worth the sacrifice. And then loving God, uh, loving his will. Right? Do I love the will of God? Do I seek the will of God? Do, you know, insofar as I know it, and we know a lot of the will of God already, is that my main focus, trying to please God by doing his will? And Lord, thank God you're so good to us, and you know how simple we are. You don't leave us in the dark. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you, you will do my will. And then he's even more explicit with us. He says, and this is, this is my commandment, that you love one another. And this is my commandment, that you love one another. This is the new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so if we think, well, am I headed to heaven? Do I want to go to heaven? Well, we have to translate that into practical terms. Am I striving to be charitable? Am I patient with people? Do I try to, do I try to foster a spirit of service? Am I understanding? Am I apostolic? Do I share the faith? Do I pray enough? St. Augustine summarizes this this virtue of hope in the beginning of his confessions, a very famous quote, perhaps one of the most widely quoted quotes in the history of quotes, which is, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. That's hope as desire, the virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And for Augustine, that's a, it's a fascinating line because it's not just a, a kind of philosophical line or a, a line of theological anthropology, like given speculatively, abstractly, what we know about human nature, well, it's spiritual and the will and the mind are open to the infinite good, 
and so on, only an infinite good can ever fully satisfy it. That's an argument that is implicit in, in Augustine's quote, and Aquinas makes that argument, that philosophically, only heaven will satisfy you, only God will satisfy you. It's truth. But for Augustine, it's not just, it's not just an abstract truth, it's also an autobiographical experience. And Augustine converted in his 30s, I think in his mid-30s. And back then, your mid-30s was like your you know, deep, deep middle age. And now 30s like the new 18. You know, no one knows what they're doing yet. <laughs> so Augustine spent like half his life, or perhaps more than half his life, not a Christian, pagan. His mother was Catholic. And then he writes these confessions many years later. He's become this incredible Christian, this incredible saint. But before his conversion, Augustine, by the standards of the world, Augustine had a lot to be happy about in the eyes of the world. He was famous. He was very good at what he did. He was a great scholar. He was a great thinker. He was a brilliant rhetorician, brilliant orator. He had a school that followed him that he taught oratory, rhetoric to. He fell in love, right? He, he had a love affair that lasted for years, had a child with this woman. And so Augustine knew pleasure and he knew fame and he knew success and he knew a certain sense human virtue. And he knew the classics, he knew philosophy, he knew the life of the mind, the pleasures of the intellect. And yet nevertheless, he was always haunted by God, that he knew he was missing something, and he knew that there was something immoral about some of the things that he was doing in his life, and that without God, the rest of the things didn't make sense either. And so it was only when he converts and becomes a Christian and dedicates his life to God and really starts to pray and wrestle with his sinfulness and meets God, that his heart found peace, that his heart was satisfied or stilled. And so decades later, he can write, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Delight in the Lord, Scripture tells us in the Psalms, delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And the deepest desire of our heart, Lord, is precisely that we delight in you. Only you can make us truly happy. With a happiness that's relative on this earth, that's always mixed with some amount of suffering or fear or disappointment, and a happiness that blossoms in eternal life. Lord, help me to do this, to look out for surrogate or false objects of true happiness, surrogate or false objects of peace, so that I can be happy as much as possible on this earth with the happiness that is in loving you, doing your will, and then happy forever in heaven with you. The other side of hope, as we know, is, is trust, right? The, the first side is desire, this acquired taste. And the second side is trust, hope. We return to the catechism. Hope is the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness 
placing our trust in Christ's promises and relying not on our own strength, but on the help of the grace of the Holy Spirit. And that's so important, Lord, because there's times in our life when we come across the depth of our sinfulness and the, and the radicality of our weakness. And then we're tempted to despair. We know that only saints get to heaven. One way or another, even the saints who have to go through purgatory end up saints. And we might despair. Well, how can I grow in holiness? I've got this weakness. I've got this problem. I, I can't do it. And if we're relying on our own strength, well, that despair, in a certain sense, is well-founded. And hope is the conviction that, Lord, you love me so much, you want me in heaven, you want my sanctity. This is God's will for you, your sanctification. God's will is that all be saved, that everyone get to heaven, that everyone become a saint. And so in our darker moments, when we come face to face, with our sinfulness and our inability to be good, we have to make acts of hope. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like, I think, reminding ourselves of how much God loves us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Lord Jesus, you so loved the world that you got on the cross for me. And Pope Francis in his first encyclical, writes that, a very beautiful line. It, it's a encyclical, an encyclical called Lumen Fide, which Benedict XVI started. There was a draft, and then when Pope Francis became Pope, he took up the draft and finished it. And in there, the Pope writes, the greatest proof of the reliability of God's love for us is found in Jesus' dying for us on the cross. The greatest proof of the reliability of God's love for us is Jesus' dying for us on the cross. That's the foundation of our hope. What God has done to win our soul, to win our salvation, and therefore to win our sanctity. And so in a way, Lord, it's very good that I come up across the limitations of my own capacity. It's very good that I see my sinfulness clearly. Because only then... Uh, do I have the possibility of really living hope by right? putting my trust in God's love for me? And of course, I have to do my part. Right? The danger of presumption is real. So if on the one hand we have despair, the idea that you know, not even God can help me get to heaven, I'm so bad. On the other hand, we have presumption, which means, well, everyone's going to heaven. It doesn't matter what I do. God loves me so much. And it's tricky, right? Because we do have to have a tremendous trust in God's mercy. Tremendous trust in God's mercy. He wills that all be saved. Jesus died on the cross for every soul. And so if you read like St. Faustina, you know, she says, uh, at one point she says, the hour of death is an hour of great mercy. And if the soul is just open, just a little bit, a little crack of contrition towards God, even just in perfect contrition, like, God, help me, I don't want to go to hell. Well, God takes advantage of that. If there's any chance to save a soul, God takes advantage, advantage of, that, of that opening, of that chance. But the danger there is that we think, well, okay, if he takes advantage of everything, well, everyone's going to get to heaven. 
And that's where I think we need to take purgatory more seriously and also the degrees of glory or the degrees of joy in heaven. Just because I get saved doesn't mean it's going to be easy to get there. The church talks about indulgences in purgatory, like if you kiss the wooden cross in the oratory or a center of Opus Dei, you get 500 days off in purgatory. It's a long time. And purgatory, from what we know about it, at least from the saints and some of the mystics, it's not a pleasant experience, to say the least. St. Faustina says it's, like, it's just like hell, except, it's, except it's, it ends. And so even though they're super confident that you want everyone to get to heaven and you want to save as many people as possible, as long as they're a little bit open, nevertheless, we don't want to play with fire. We don't want to be presumptuous. And on the flip side, right, the more we merit on earth, the more we merit eternal life by cooperating with grace, by detaching ourselves from, from false forms of happiness, by detaching ourselves from sin, by really trying positively to do God's will, positively to grow in love of God and love of others. Well, the higher we go in heaven, the more we can enjoy God eternally in a mysterious way, but it's true. This very naturally happens to us, I think, again, because the world is so good and we're fallen, but on the one hand, on the other hand, we have faith. St. Josemaria says we end up keeping two candles lit. We have one candle lit to St. Michael the Archangel, right, our good side, and we have another candle lit to the devil. And what does that look like? Well, it looks something like, well, you know, I'll be good enough to get to heaven. I'll avoid mortal sin. You know, I'll do what, I, what it takes to, to be saved and not be too bad. But I have these compromises with sin. There's people I don't forgive. There's people I blow off. There's people I judge and are critical with. And I'm not working on that. There's lacks of temperance and laziness, you know, these venial habits of sin that I'm just kind of okay with. And this habits was very naturally. And if we're not aware of it, it's, it's hard to work on. So the question is, Lord, well, can I snuff out that other candle and how if heaven is loving you above all things forever and ever and ever well it's worth really throwing our lot with god in this life if that's the only thing that's going to make us happy in heaven well it's also the only thing that's really going to make us happy and at least peaceful here take the light in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness, right? Starting now. Lord, help us to see where is my heart still restless because it's not resting in you. What do I have to give up, Lord, to acquire the taste for heaven, right? To get, the, to, get to the point where you properly only have mustard on your hot dog you have to stop having ketchup on your hot dog. You have to kind of give up the one thing to get the other. And that takes work. It takes trust. It takes effort. Above all, Lord, it takes your grace, relying not on our own strength, but on the help of the grace of the Holy Spirit. And it takes our Mother Mary. Every time we pray the Hail Mary, we pray for the moment of our death. 
that we be prepared, that we be ready. As St. Josemaria would say, ready to jump over purgatory because we've suffered enough here and we're in love with God and we've purified enough here and we've merited enough here to go straight to heaven. Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Our Lady, gate of heaven. Lord, you are the way to heaven. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only name by which we're saved. And yet, we know that Our Lady is the path to Jesus and therefore the path to God and the path to heaven. Porta Celi, the gate of heaven. Our Lady, gate of heaven, pray for us. Help us to keep fostering this love of God, this love of God in eternal life, which we hope for, and this love of God now, which prepares us for eternal life. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect, my Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.